1: It might get you into a family row, and if it spells trouble, you get 50 bonus points. But play it competitively, and it's a whole different war of words.
2: You are constantly calculating what's left on the board, what's left in the bag, what's left on your opponent's tiles. If you
1: haven't guessed it by now, we're talking about Scrabble. But not the living room version you're used to. We're looking at the world of competitive Scrabble.
2: No one would believe you that Scrabble can be remotely exciting.
1: Come and meet the competitors fighting it out with numbered tiles and multiple word scores.
2: Some of us we've been playing for multiple decades. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how bad a day you have, you keep coming back for more, right? Yeah.
1: And hear about the friendships they've made.
2: This is a proper community of people, which I think makes it quite distinct from maybe a a number of other sports and games.
1: And as 200 words are removed from the game, Scrabble isn't immune from politics and controversy.
2: I think the wound is kind of healing now, but it's definitely a different place now.
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, inside a wild weekend at the National Scrabble Championship.
2: I was sent to Bristol to write about the fiercely competitive world of Scrabble and the eccentric and fascinating people that play it. Ralph Jones covered
1: the National Scrabble Championship for the Sunday Times magazine.
2: This was the 50th anniversary of the National Scrabble Championship, which began in the 70s. Good morning, everybody. If I can ask you to take your seats ready for our first game, thank you. And after a two-year COVID delay, everyone was back together physically. Uh, A couple of announcements, old favourites that I haven't had to use in two and a half years. The first one is this. I say this every time I direct because this once happened at a tournament I directed. Please do not remove any equipment from a game that is still in progress.
1: We're going to be hearing Ralph's recordings from the event throughout the episode. But first, I asked him something you're probably wondering yourself. Why Scrabble?
2: I have a soft spot for these kinds of stories because the idea of people being intensely competitive about seemingly uncontroversial and casual games and sports always entertains me. And also personally, I used to play Scrabble with my granny, as I'm sure lots of people did. And so I think to English people, but as I discovered to people across the world as well, the game means a great deal. It's a kind of source of pride, a source of potential bitterness if you always lose to your granny. There's a lot of emotion there. There's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of potential memories locked up in it.
1: Competitive Scrabble is is quite different though from the kind of Scrabble you might play with your granny, isn't it?
2: Yes, there are rules and there are bits of etiquette that you have to adhere to with competitive Scrabble rather than a kind of living room Scrabble. You know, one of the rules is that you have to hold the bag of tiles up at eye level when you rummage around in it, for example, so that your opponent can clearly see that you're not... uh, dabbling, you know, you're not tampering with it at all. You're not um, putting in tiles of your own or you're not uh, rejecting tiles that you don't like. So that's one thing. And one of the lovely traditions in the National Scrabble Championship was that if you're suspicious that your opponent has played a completely bogus word and that they've made a word up in order to fool you, you challenge the word and you both stride over to this computer and you basically challenge the word And you check whether the word exists in the Scrabble words dictionary or not. A unsuccessful challenge means you lose points and you also forfeit your turn. It's a kind of risky move, but if you're intimately familiar with the Scrabble words, then obviously this is a kind of move you're willing to play. And great Scrabble players basically have about 100,000 words in their vocabulary. So they're relatively confident when they stride up. They're fairly sure sometimes that they're right it was always interesting just to see these pairs of people standing up in the middle of this conference room and striding over to the computer to check some bizarre word for all of those reasons it's a very different game to living room scrabble and the stakes are obviously lots higher with money on the table and pride It's a kind of cauldron of competitive players
1: talk us through the event i mean what was the setting describe it for us
2: It was very odd because it was in a Bristol hotel right next to a very busy um, A-Road. And it was a very modern building, which seemed quite incongruous somehow. The photographer and I thought it was going to be in a kind of village hall with triangular sandwiches and bunting. And instead, it was this modern slab of a hotel (laughs) next to a roaring road. And it was just an enormous ground floor conference room, essentially. So you had enough space for all of the tables that you needed. And there were 78 players. Because of the age of the players, they didn't want the room to be too high up in the hotel because you have 89-year-olds sort of struggling to get upstairs and things like that. And then the room gradually fills up with all of these players, all of whom are kind of meeting each other for the first time in potentially two years. It was not how you would imagine, not the kind of traditional... English uh, setting.
1: So, Ralph, tell us about the people who are competing.
2: The people who compete range from 24, let's say, around 24 to to 89. So, I was particularly mesmerised by an 87-year-old man called David Schenkin, who was extraordinarily bright, very formal man who wore a suit and tie and had an entire newspaper tucked into his breast pocket and just existed in a bubble, really. He just had a wonderful kind of unbothered outlook and was incredibly sweet and went on an extraordinary winning streak at one point that I was fully behind. He didn't win, unfortunately. You had grandmasters, as they call them. So you have someone like Brett Smitherem, who is one of the best players in the world and won the tournament more than 20 years ago when he was in his 20s. And you got other grandmasters like a guy called David Koenig, who had traveled from Oregon, just to be there. So you do get people travelling from far-flung corners of the globe. And you also had someone who I found absolutely fascinating called Ellie Mackin, who was playing while completely blind. So she was just an astonishing person, because while you play Scrabble normally, obviously being able to look at the board the entire time, constantly refreshing your memory about where all of the tiles are.
1: These are um, avidfers, so The far columns, three three furthest columns to the left and right on this one, I use for scorekeeping. And then the columns in the middle and the second one I use for tile tracking. So I I can note down what tiles have been played.
2: She was having to retain that in her head. And as it evolved, as it changed, as she planned, she had to constantly refresh this image in her head. And she plays with braille tiles. And obviously her opponents, when they play her, have to play with braille tiles. I just found that extraordinary. And in terms of background, these people were generally in fields like software development, maths, and things like that. It's not a kind of literary game, even though people might think it is. It's more of a strategic mathematical game, much more like something like chess. And you're trying to make anagrams out of words. So you've got to think in a very um, formulaic way. And no one really cares what the words mean. So you haven't got to have a love of language in any way in order to play. You've just got to be good at probability and maths, essentially. Comparatively few women, I think the theory was that it's men tend to have more time or tend to want to spend more time pursuing kind of hobbies like this. They told me that at a certain level, in other words, casual scrabble, there are more women players, but at the top, there are more male players.
1: What does it take to qualify for the championships? Can anybody sign up?
2: Yeah, you can. So if you wanted to join next year, you could just pay the requisite fee and just turn up and play. But what you will obviously find is that, you know, you'll soon discover how good or bad you are if you start playing extremely competent players. It's not necessarily a great use of your money if you don't like losing.
1: And how are these competitors getting match fit? How do you train for a Scrabble competition?
2: Interestingly, in the last couple of years... Even though Scrabble players might tend to play online anyway, even if there hadn't been a pandemic, the pandemic obviously forced them online and they would do exactly that. They would play strangers online. They would play friends online. I know it wasn't for everyone. So Brett Smitherem, for example, said that he doesn't play online very much because he's so good that people assume he's cheating because they don't really know who he is. So he doesn't. But plenty of people were playing online. And the other thing is they use apps. They use kind of anagram games as a kind of going to the Scrabble gym. And so if you're deprived of this kind of face-to-face intense Scrabble tournament situation, you drift online, you play people online. There's one player there who runs a YouTube channel. Hello, the game has started. It's me to go first. I've got quite a nice rack, but too many R's. And he basically just films himself playing Strangers Online. Totally love the play of Farrah because one option would have been exchanging two R's or two R's and an F and leaving a very good four or five letter set. Other Scrabble players watch him and they pick up tips because he's narrating the whole thing.
1: talk about the importance of Scrabble online, but also about this community. There are grandmasters, people who are well known, people who have played each other in the past. This was, as you say, the first face-to-face meeting of many of these people since the pandemic. What effect did the pandemic have on competitive Scrabble playing?
2: Allegedly, it caused a kind of spike in Scrabble board sales, 50% increase apparently, for obvious reasons. People are stuck at home and looking for entertainment. I suppose that was the main thing. As well as pushing people online, it made people extremely sad about the lack of real Scrabble tournaments happening. It put the brakes on for a bit, but people went online. And I think some people discovered a passion for Scrabble. They weren't necessarily playing in the first place. They might have discovered it during lockdown.
1: And as well as the pandemic, there have been some recent changes to competitive Scrabble, Scrabble in general, that has rocked the competitive community. Tell us about that.
2: This is the extremely strange and quite widely publicised story that the authorities that govern which words you can use in Scrabble decided that they should no longer include in the Scrabble dictionaries a number of offensive words, racially sensitive, racially offensive words.
1: Mattel, which owns the rights to Scrabble outside North America, said it had made its decision following the Black Lives Matter protests last summer and that in order to attract a new generation of players, it was time to modernise the game.
2: They basically purged them from the books and decided that they were sufficiently inflammatory that they shouldn't be played on a board because of the damage that they would do to the other person if... For example, that other person was of that particular race, they might find it personally offensive. And similarly, homophobic slurs were removed. I think there's around 200 words that were taken out. And these were often slightly unusual choices, like Jesuitic, which you wouldn't immediately think of as an offensive word. I think Jew as well. There was a lot of controversy. There was a lot of ill feeling in the Scrabble world because obviously people who didn't agree with the decision were deprived of words that they were happy to play. I mean, this is a very small minority of people who felt this way, but the vast majority of people just agreed with it because it seemed why upset people unnecessarily. I think the wound is kind of healing now, but it's definitely a different place now because of the 200 words that have been taken out, because obviously that means you're no longer able to use those words because you would be challenged and you would have to remove that word from the board.
1: Over the years, new words have been added to the official Scrabble dictionary. Twerk, emoji and facepalm were included in 2018 to reflect how language is changing. So how did this ever-evolving game begin?
2: It's not like chess. It's not an ancient game. It's not a kind of game that people played in the kind of gravel in ancient communities, ancient civilizations. It began in 1933, so it's almost 100 years old now. It was invented really by a guy called Alfred Mosher Butts, who was an unemployed New York architect when he invented the game, which he began by calling Lexico. But soon someone called James Bruno bought the rights to the game and changed the name in 1947. And then it was really him that turned it into a commercial enterprise. So he began selling many more copies of the game. And he called it Scrabble. And then we have probably a guy called Jack Strauss to thank for the explosion in popularity because he was the chairman of Macy's, the department store in New York. Strauss basically decided allegedly to order tons of copies of Scrabble for Macy's because he fell in love with the game on holiday. And uh, then you've got Almost 4 million Scrabble boards being sold across America in 1954. So that's probably more Scrabble sets per year than we've ever had. And then obviously the rest is history because the rest of the world cotton's on. And it's basically partly thanks to Macy's, the department store, that it is so hugely popular.
1: Coming up, how tense can a game of Scrabble really get? But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Alice Thompson, a columnist and interviewer at The Times. It's the best job in the world. I get to interview the most extraordinary people from Bill Gates to James Dyson and the last interview with the incredible Deborah James. I also get to comment on the most fascinating news stories, travel to the most bizarre places and inform, analyse, infuriate and entertain. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ralph, take us back to the championship as you witnessed it. You've set the scene for us. You've introduced us to some of the most colourful characters. Tell us about how it unfolded. And first of all, maybe explain how it worked. It wasn't a knockout, was it?
2: No, it's a strangely convoluted, slightly complicated setup at the National Scrabble Championship because you have two divisions of 78 players. And I think they were divided roughly equally the two divisions. And you basically have a kind of random assortment of games to begin with. Okay, folks, if I can have you in position for game number five. That would be lovely. Thank you. It's not a knockout, it's much more like a league. You play your first game against your opponent, and obviously 39 games are going on at the same time across the room. And then gradually, as you play better, you begin to play other people who are playing better so in other words it does become a kind of funneling system you are funneled into you know the level of the game that you're playing at but it's much more like a league because you're actually accruing points you're accruing victories so in the same way that in the premier league a football team would obviously be top of the table if they'd won 14 games out of 14 at the national scrabble championship you are sitting at the top of the table. If you've won all of your games, and also there's a kind of goal difference equivalent as well, because if you beat people by enormous margins, you rise up the table, as it were. Um, if you don't have an opponent, please let me know. If you have everything you need, please begin game number fourteen. Thank you. And so, for a while, it's a bit difficult to see who's actually doing particularly. Well, because everyone is playing everyone, so you'll have a grandmaster playing someone who's only just arrived. You'll have um, people of two very different standings playing each other. And then, over the course of the weekend, because this was a two-day thing, you get an impression of who's winning and who's not, basically.
1: Things soon become clearer. Brett Smitherem, the former British number one, and Ellie Dangor, a man seen as a bit of an underdog, were vying for the title.
2: Brett had gone in as the favourite. Everyone fancied him as the favourite. And Ellie, although a grandmaster, was comparatively not quite as good. It looked like it was going to be a little bit of a turn-up for the books. They were the two top-of-the-table players. So whoever won in that match was going to win the title because they had both basically won almost all of their games.
1: And now, welcome to the final game of the event. Just... And it was quite a nail-biting
2: final. It was extraordinary. I mean, no one would believe you, really, that Scrabble can be remotely exciting. It doesn't seem like a spectator sport, but I was circling the table, just writing down every single word that they were putting down. And... I think Ellie was kind of probably about 60 points up for most of the game. And whenever Brett put down a long word and managed to um, try to claw things back, Ellie would just put down uh, an even longer word and cause Brett to basically just seethe quietly in his seat.
1: It all came down to the final word. But with competitive Scrabble, it's about numbers too.
2: You are constantly calculating what's left on the board, what's left in the bag, what's left on your opponent's tiles. If you're good, you should know by the end of the match what your opponent has on their rack. You've been keeping track for the whole game of what has been played. And so they each knew which letters the other one had. Brett was left with the letters F-U-E-G-A-N-R. So Brett knew which letters were on Ellie's rack and he knew that there was one tile left in the bag. And what he needed in order to finish all of his letters was uh, an E or an S from the bag. So he needed Ellie not to have the E or the S on his rack. And so if he produced the E or the S from the bag, in his final pickup, then he would be able to complete all of his letters. He watched Ellie place an X on the board and then he picked up the final letter from the bag and as soon as he turned it over, he punched the air because it was an E, the letter he needed. And that meant that he was able to make an Eager, which is a uh, seven letter word. And it meant that with that, flourish he had basically used all of his letters leapfrogged over ellie and he could only have done that if he had produced an e or an s from the bag but if he had produced any other letter he would not have been able to make the seven letter word and ellie would have very probably just annihilated him at the end that kind of gives you an indication of just how complicated it gets and also how good Mm. your probability skills have to be how confident you have to be how many words you have to know because he had a range of words that he could have played at the very end and he knew that for example he could have played spear gun uneager or ungears and he's doing all of this just in his head he's not typing these letters in you're obviously not allowed to go online and do that so he's just got all of his knowledge in his head and he then managed to win with the very very final play of the game.
1: So an air-punching moment there, incredible joy at winning, but was there a a general sense of joy in the room because you have this community of people finally able to be back together face-to-face?
2: There was a definite joy that you felt while walking around the room. These people hadn't, in some cases, seen each other for two years. They might have kept in touch a little bit, but for the most part, they were seeing each other for the first time after a huge delay. This is a proper community of people, which I think makes it quite distinct from maybe a a number of other sports and games. You've got people who use it as an excuse to socialise. Some of us, we've been playing for multiple decades. No matter how bad a day you have, you keep coming back for more, right? People who had fallen in love, thanks to Scrabble. We had a Scrabble-themed wedding, had most of our Scrabble friends here came to it,
1: so we had Scrabble tiles and all sorts on the tables for people to play with. There's
2: a huge amount of history and memory locked up there.
1: I couldn't let you go, Ralph, without asking you uh, about the words you learnt during the tournament. What's your favourite new word that you've learnt as a consequence of competitive Scrabble?
2: I will try and pronounce this one. So... The only one I've managed to retain, the only new word I've managed to retain that I can tell you um, off the cuff is the word E-U-I, which I'm pronouncing like that and is spelt E-U-O-I. In other words, absolutely zero consonants in it. And that means a cry of impassioned rapture in ancient Bacchic revels, which Phil Robertshaw, who's the defending champion, played at one point. And I saw it and immediately looked it up because I thought, this sounds like a load of rubbish. This is not a word at all. It just mm. looks like four totally unrelated letters. And nope, it's a cry of impassioned rapture. So I, I retained that. And I have, think I've retained no other words, actually. I'm more interested in people who played Todger and Quims and things like that. Uh, those are the ones that stayed in my head. But that tells you more about me than, than them, I think.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, the writer, Ralph Jones. And if this episode has left you wanting to play a puzzle, you can find a selection at thetimes.co.uk. Why not subscribe today and get one month free? The producer was Priyanka Deladia. The executive producer today was Edward Drummond and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.